Welcome to The Art Box, recorded in our beautiful Mesquite, Nevada, and sponsored by the Virgin Valley Artists Association. Our association provides creative opportunities for all ages. Get creative with us at the Mesquite Fine Arts Center, 15 West Mesquite Boulevard, or find us online at mesquitefineartscenter.com or on Facebook, The Art Box. We would like to welcome Jennifer Hero and Rob Vinson today from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And Jennifer is in the main office in Las Vegas, Torrey Pines. And Rob is at that funny spelling wildlife refuge, Paranigan, okay, that I can now spell. No problem. I, I don't even need Bill Gates to help me anymore. <laughs> so, and they're here to talk with Linda and I about uh, the Junior Duck Stamp Program. Welcome, Rob and Jennifer. Thank, thank you, you for having us. Yeah, and thank you for taking that long ride today all the way up here. On a beautiful rainy day. Unusual. Yeah, we have our, our ducks around in the in Mesquite. So you guys want to tell us a little bit about the Junior Duck Stamp Program? Sure. Well, um, I, I feel like the story might start a little bit earlier, but we can hop right to the end of the story, which is the Junior Duck Stamp oh, Program. Oh, well, start, well, start wherever you want. Earlier. Let's but start at the beginning. Yeah, it, it starts way earlier. I mean, we have to go back um, about 90 years or so ago to the, to the um, Depression era and um, think about what was happening in the world, in the United States at that time, and what is occurring during that time period, wildlife populations are going down. The need for conservation, the awareness of the need for conservation, particularly of retaining habitat for wildlife is increasing, right? There's starting to be uh, raised awareness of the need. And we have things coming together where um, a new federal program begins. It's something very storied now, which is the federal duck stamp. But back then, it was almost like a dare, I think, the way I think of it, which is um, Ding Darling, a uh, famous political illustrator, kind of pushed Roosevelt's buttons enough times where, you know, says basically, if you think you can do something about, you know, our sort of conservation problem, why don't you? And um, Ding Darling winds up becoming the head of the Office of Biological Survey. Mm -hmm and proceeds to come up with a plan um, which becomes the federal duck stamp program. And I know that Rob is a, a longtime fan, grew up with the federal duck stamp, and maybe I'll uh, pass it over to him for a minute to speak a little bit more about the federal duck stamp itself. Yeah, it's one of the largest conservation funding acts and most successful. I mean, it, it started like with the, you know, Back when Jennifer's going to give you a history lesson, this was like the Dust Bowl was going on. So the Duck Factory, which is the prairie pothole region of North America, is where all, you know, predominantly a lot of the ducks are created there. There's two big production factories, prairie pothole and then Alaska. But, you know, you've seen the history books where the dust were going through and habitat loss was going on. So they needed funding to be able to bring this back. So 1934 was our first uh, kickoff for the duck stamp. One dollar back in the day. 
it's 25 now, so it kind of gives you an idea of how, how much it's came. Oh, that's that's a federal that's duck a federal stamp. Duck the federal stamp. duck stamp. Um, and it's important we begin there because you don't get to the junior duck stamp till much, much later. Because <clears> what winds up happening is that Ding Darling creates the, he, he comes up with the idea, I'm sure with the assistance of others, but of creating a stamp program. So in order to hunt waterfowl, mm-hmm. um, starting in 1934, you need to purchase this duck, what's now called the duck stamp, right? Yep. And 16 so, years or older now. <laughs> so you have to buy a duck stamp, but there has to be artwork on the stamp. So Ding Darling creates the first illustration for the first stamp. And then for a number of years, they commission artists to create the artwork that goes on the stamp. And it's always an illustration. About somewhere in the 1940s, it changes to a juried art competition. And it has continued as a juried art competition since the 1940s. It is one of the only juried art competitions run by the federal government and is one of the most prestigious wildlife art competitions in the country. Every year, they have a competition where artists create their piece based on five uh, selected species of North American waterfowl. And um, the judging normally happens in September, and then the stamp, usually first day of sale, is somewhere in the late spring, early June. And the stamp is now up to $25. It's gone up a little bit since that $1 in 1934, mm-hmm. but it is um, known as the hunting and conservation stamp. And this is the conservation piece is really important because the conservation part of it, 98 cents on the dollar goes directly into purchasing or leasing habitat for wildlife. And in fact, the refuge that Rob manages was bought in part, the land for it was bought in part with duck stamp dollars. Okay. So when we start talking about conservation efforts, it has been incredibly successful. So far, the duck stamp office in Washington says about 1.5 million of them are sold every year. It has raised over $1.2 billion for habitat conservation, and it's conserved 6.5 million acres, right? That's that's just incredible, um, the impact that that has had for North American um, habitat and conservation. And most people have never heard of this thing uh, unless you've been a longstanding hunter. But over the decades, we've been trying to raise awareness that anybody can buy this. I mean, if you want to support conservation, even in your backyard in Nevada, Uh, This is something that that money goes right into conserving habitat. The art competition every year, you can watch it online now. The pandemic helped it go virtual. It's pretty interesting. They've made documentaries about it. There's books about it, artwork, posters, all kinds of stuff. But you have to fast forward to the 1990s then. This thing has been going on for decades. And in the 1990s, they sit back and they start thinking, there's got to be a way to engage younger people. In the 1990s, we start seeing perhaps a drop both in hunting, um, also lagging um, conservation efforts for uh, wetlands and, and similar, like you know, the support for the conservation of those types of habitats. The Fish and Wildlife Service works to create the Junior Duck Stamp Program, which is an art and science-based program for K through 12. It doesn't have the emphasis on the hunting and conservation stamp the way that the adult one does. This one is the junior duck stamp is created 
uh, to engage youth in waterfowl conservation in the arts and sciences. So the idea is that by learning some of the biology, the science, the habitat needs of waterfowl, and then putting that into practice and creating an original piece of artwork that shows what you've learned through that artwork, then this would be a way to get students the next generation involved in these ideas. And every year, state by state, we have a state-run contest, and the winner of the state contest goes to the national competition, which happens in late spring, and the national competition, that winner of the whole country, becomes the junior duck stamp and sees their artwork appear on a national non-postal stamp that can be bought. Um, and right now, that's running at about $5. Yeah, so one thing that Jennifer mentioned earlier is that, you know, this is called duck stamp or waterfowl stamp. It's more conservation than just waterfowl. So any water birds, shorebirds, neotropical migrants, local wildlife, all that money and effort is going into conserving all those species. It just happens to be called the duck stamp. And one thing more important with the junior duck stamp now is trying to connect maybe urban kids or kids that hadn't had that connection with the outdoors, it gives them that outlet or maybe try to get some interest in connecting folks that may not have uh, existing connection with those things. Maybe something to drive a little interest. And that's what we're seeing more and more now is uh, young people are not really getting that connection like they had in the past. So this is an avenue that Fish and Wildlife Service uses to actually you know, generate interest and try to get that connection as well. Yeah, I think I've been talking with Angie because she's now in um, Long Island about getting, she was talking about how do they get the inner city youth to come out to the refuges. Mm -hmm. Right. That, a lot of connectivity. more urban we get, the less connectivity we have. The more electronics that we have for kids, you know, when I was growing up, I didn't have that, so I had to get out. And mom always kicked me out of the house, and I was out bouncing around uh, pastures and in the woods and doing stuff like that. That's not, if I had a cell phone, it'd probably been completely different, you know? Most people are you know, interacting I, I, and everything. I guess, I guess now you can shoot a duck via a video game? Oh, we had that back in the 90s with uh, Duck Hunt. Well. Nintendo 64. <laughs> <laughs> well, also in my profession, like the question you brought up that Angie had raised, which is, you know, somebody we know from Fish and Wildlife Service, birds, right? I mean, a lot of times when we talk to kids, we talk to, well, even adults, they think about wildlife as something somewhere else. Uh, lions in Africa, polar bears up in the Arctic, this idea of wildlife. And yet birds are all around us. They're a, a species we can see, we, you know, if we wait long enough in the parking lot, here we're going to see a bird species, right? So this is this is one of those things that bridges the divide between this idea of wildlife, about wildlife being in your backyard, between thinking about and conserving broader, bigger spaces and, and but also finding species in your backyard. So in Las Vegas, for instance, and probably here in Mesquite, you go to the local park, and there's probably going to, this time of year especially, there's probably going to be a waterfowl species, some kind of duck in the, the water there at that park. We have sort of like fish in the desert. A lot of people are surprised to think that, oh, ducks might be in the desert, and yet they are. 
and we can find all kinds of species. I mean, how many species at Paranagate do we get of waterfowl? 20, probably. Right. So here in the winter, they're coming through. They migrate, they winter, and you can come out and see 20 different species. And a lot of those species, not all, but a lot of them are also found in a city park. And this is where we can start to draw connections between what youth might be experiencing around where they live and some of these other spaces that need to be protected. How do you get, because it's a curriculum, the Junior Duck Stamp is a curriculum, how do you recruit schools to join in that? There's lots of different avenues. And the Clark County School District is a many-headed beast, right? It's quite large, lots of different ways to tackle that. We have gone to some of the art teachers themselves. We do promotions through the partnership office. Uh, we have done um, outreach activities and outreach tables at some of the popular spaces around town, like the Springs Preserve, to raise awareness. Um, and then, so it's just bit by bit. But it is a challenge because Clark County School District, high turnover rate, lots of new teachers getting that new class of teachers every year to know about us. So one of the ways we can do that is by joining you today and, and telling people about this great program that exists because it's not just Clark County. Right? We represent the Junior Duck Stamp for the whole state. So we have students participating and teachers by default participating from Elko, from Ely, Eureka, all around the state. We just have to have, happen to have more students down here and would love to engage more with some of the teachers that are here. There are opportunities to find out more about the program, obviously through the websites. There's literature and brochures we can hand out, but definitely figuring out, we need champions in the different communities to help us raise awareness of the program. Right, well, I'm sure Alamo's a beast in itself, you know, and then it's probably easier to tackle. Mm -hmm. Maybe not, than Las Vegas is. And very different communities with different needs. And we've actually had a few people that was part of the Junior Duck Stamp, came in through the Junior Duck Stamp, now compete in the national oh. competition. So, I mean, recruiting artists to continue to paint pictures in the national federal duck stamp. And I can see how teachers of other subjects in addition to art could work on this as a unit. Your math teachers could talk about statistics and get their kids to look at graphs and the stats for that for those and your English teachers could have the students write about the ducks and the science teachers of course could get involved with the biology so it'd be a great theme unit I think. Yeah like I said earlier it's the largest mm -hmm. conservation success story for funding that we have I mean six million acres mm -hmm. conserved from the federal ducks now I mean that's huge mm -hmm. you get to think about landscape size. That is phenomenal. I have to ask, when you, hopefully you've seen the movie Fargo, mm -hmm. did you do happy dance when the, when the police woman's husband was working so hard on his duck stamp? I don't remember that. It's been a oh, long time no, that was a, Fargo. I, that was oh, the yeah. first time I saw duck stamp. I was like, duck stamp, what is this? And he was, do you remember that? He worked and worked I don't remember that, stamp. but I, re I, remember, I remember Francis McDermott's husband. Yeah. Oh, and he was. 
He worked on that through the whole movie, and yes. finally he yes. got to be on the duck stamp. See, Linda, that's why you're so much smarter than I am, because you pick all these things, you remember these little things. Well, it is that is one of those moments where it sort of rose up in popular culture and, oh. and sort of yeah. left its niche, right? Where, where Thanks to became, the Cohen brothers. He, unbelievably, yes. <laughs> and, and it does appear in a documentary that came out about nine years ago called The Million Dollar Duck. Really? Uh, there's a great documentary mm-hmm. about the duck stamp. If you like something like Best in Show, you're going to love Million Dollar Duck. <laughs> but Fargo makes appearance in that because that's how most people know about this, the federal duck stamp. If they know about it at all, they either grew up in it or they've caught on because of this little quirk in the movie Fargo mm-hmm. and not much in between. That said, it is a really interesting group of artists and people really passionate. And a lot of the artists um, spend significant amounts of time in the field researching the species that they're going to paint, taking you know, sketches, photographs, doing illustrations right in the field, prepping, because it's not just enough. And this is for the adults. Um, we don't expect first graders to go out in a blind for 18 hours. Mm-hmm. Rob does. <laughs> um, no better place to spend your time. <laughs> but they, they spend significant mm-hmm. amount of time learning, just like any artist, their subject. And they know about them and are so passionate about the, the species that they're going to paint that year. Because it's not enough to create a piece of artwork that just depicts the species. It has to communicate something. It, it communicates the habitat, where it might live, the time of year, the mood. It has to be biologically accurate. So when we get talk about the adult duck stamp, um, the federal duck stamp, the level of accuracy, the attention that goes into creating the art is at a level far beyond what most of us work at normally. And that creates some really passionate people. And you know, sometimes that level of passion creates a unique culture. The children's work is more indicative of what you would expect for K through 12 art. But it shows a different kind of passion, passion and interest. And you can see the individual personalities come out in the picture. You know, well, sometimes we'll see a class come in and it will be 15 pictures of a mallard. But they'll all be different in their own way. And you can, you can start to see where their kids are going to head on their artistic journey. They may never create another piece of artwork like this again. And others we see come back year after year. It's an amazing program, and we have teachers who come back to it year after year. You spoke about the curriculum and how it can be integrated into the classroom. For the National Wildlife Refuges, I work a lot in the environmental education program, thinking about what we're going to connect students to on our lands. And for many people, waterfowl is not the first thing they think of. But it is an amazing amazing opportunity for us to think about not just here, but where the species go where all these creatures go when they leave us, connecting us to other places. Maybe, you know, a child's grandparents live somewhere where the duck spends the summer. It's not unusual that that's the case. And so thinking about migration and the science behind it, what has to go into the artwork, the attention, thinking, think about creating one picture of let's say a mallard again, uh, a type of duck. By the time you're done with that, the kind of connection you have with that duck, that species, even if you're a third grader, is tremendous. And it's that type of empathy for 
for wildlife around us that is one of the things we hope happens with the program. Did you say the stamps are non postage stamps? Non-postal, yeah. Okay. So you don't slap it on your package. It's not okay. going to get you anywhere. Okay. <laughs> but the Postal Service um, sells a number of these types of stamps. Fun to collect, I'm guessing. Yeah, and or they serve a function, right? So there's um, some of them are postal stamps, but it is called a non-postal stamp, so it doesn't qualify for postage. Oh, but okay. the money, the junior duck stamp at $5, the money when people buy that goes to support the program itself. So almost all the money goes back into the program to support education of K through 12 youth. And you can buy them at our visitor centers for the National Wildlife Refuges in Southern Nevada. Uh, you can buy them online. Depending on your local post office, you can buy them at the post office. Oh, so you can buy them at the post Sometimes. office. Sometimes. I'll just start very at, at the big scale, which is we have four National Wildlife Refuges in Southern Nevada. But that is part of a system of National Wildlife Refuges. There's over 560 throughout the country and is one of the largest systems of protected lands and waters in the entire world. And it is a, a type of conserved or protected landscape. Many people in the United States don't know about the National Wildlife Refuge system or don't understand the scope of it, but it really is bigger than our national park system. It's an enormous success story in American history. And we have four of them. And two are, well, one's right outside Las Vegas. It's called Desert National Wildlife Refuge. It's 1.6 million acres, just shy of it. And it sits not more than 20 minutes from the northern boundary of Las Vegas. When you're in the valley and you look north, you're looking towards the Las Vegas and Sheep Range of the National Wildlife Refuge. And tremendous landscape, six mountain ranges, seven life zones, absolutely vast and an incredible backcountry experience in people's backyards. Protected in 1936 for the conservation of desert bighorn sheep. We also have Ash Meadows National Wildlife Refuge, which this year is celebrating its 40th anniversary. And um, Ash Meadows is about an hour and a half northwest of Las Vegas, or more westward. And that conserves 26 endemic species, 11 endangered and threatened, really unique. One of the largest remaining oases in the Mojave Desert. So it has natural springs that come up in the desert there. And those spring systems have led to unique habitats and therefore a lot of endemic species, which means they exist nowhere else but that one little place. And then for the other two refuges, I'm gonna pass it over to Rob. Yeah, we have the other two. So we got Pranigat National Wildlife Refuge, which is our migratory bird refuge in Southern Nevada. It's like our only migratory bird refuge that we have. So each refuge was actually purchased for a specific purpose. So when the National Wildlife Refuge or Fish and Wildlife Service purchases it, they have a, a mission, that refuge purpose. Ours is, branding it, is migratory bird. And part of the duck stamp that was mentioned earlier was used to purchase those. It's an oasis and we're right at the, the connection of Mojave and Great Basin. So we have species that occur in both of those deserts. So we're right on that, that edge. And then we have Moapa Valley and that is was purchased in 79, 1979 for the endangered Moapa Dace. It's a little bitty refuge out just north of the town of Moapa. Is there a best time to visit Peranagant to see uh, the birds? So my, uh, what I tell everybody is try to hit migration. 
uh, spring migration, fall migration. Anytime our spring migration starts now, so we're starting to see sandhill cranes come through. We have the lower Colorado River Valley population of the greater sandhill crane. That's the lowest population level of any sand, migratory sandhill crane population, and they pass, about 90% of them pass over the refuge or on the refuge. So uh, depending, fall is more important than spring for them, but they're coming across right now. So I saw them going over the house yesterday, and they were in Middle Marsh this morning. So, oh, were they? Yep. So they're there singing. If you've never heard of Sandhill Crane, come out because it's an amazing creature. Oldest fossil record. I mean, they're 12,000 year old bird flying around. Uh, give me the rabbit hole in those because it's one of my passions there. But it's fall migration. Uh, so shorebirds will start showing up in August, mid August. And then you'll start seeing neotropicals push through. During migration events, there's no telling what you might see. So waterfowl start showing up in really good numbers in September through October. And depending on what species, you'll start seeing certain species showing up and certain species leaving out to go through. So Paranagat National Wildlife Refuge actually is a nesting area for some species. It's a migrational stopover for some species and it's a wintering area for some species. So it's any point in any given time we're serving a population or a species group or a guild, if you will, of migratory birds on the refuge. Not in, to exclude the, na the non-migratory, gambles quail, they, they're all the time. And then we have our other wildlife, our native wildlife, that are utilizing those same habitats that benefit from part of that six million acres that was conserved. So photographer's paradise. It can be. We like to go out there. Yeah, a lot of people like the eagles when they come in in the, in the wintertime. So we have bald eagles that come in. Golden eagles are there year-round. They're coming off of the desert range, so we connect in the Desert National Wildlife Refuge. We're like the diamond. <laughs> but anyway, uh, the eagles, the golden eagles will come off the desert range and hunt on Paranagat. So you can see golden eagles there, uh, peregrine falcons are there so some of the iconic species that people really like to see are there there are backcountry routes that go between Paranagat and through desert national wildlife refuge it's true but those are beautiful country but have a safety plan be able to do self-rescue and know there's not going to be cell service these are real routes <laughs> i've seen reviews that that people complain about the condition of our roads and i'd like to put the roads in quote marks those are not roads <laughs> they're not maintained they're they're not maintained <laughs> people probably it's an adventure it is we don't have the staff to actually maintain the roads so they are not maintained and we let people know up front going out there i've done it once and it was an adventure it, did you go the lake bed the dry mm -hmm. lake bed yeah through the sand mm -hmm. the deep sand yep and I went with someone else, another vehicle, so yep. we took turns. If anybody does that, the springtime when the flowers are coming out, oh my gosh, it's absolutely gorgeous. It could be beautiful. Uh, yeah, I, I did that last spring. It took me like eight hours because I would stop. You know, you'd see these cactuses blooming. you stop and get out and look at it and kind of enjoy. I mean, I think if you just tried to flat foot it, it'd probably take you about four hours. So, I mean plan on stopping it, 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 took, it took us all day we stopped mm -hmm. a lot yeah we enjoyed ourselves that's the way to do it that's what that's for but one of the things you touched on rob that i wanted to go back to which is this idea of the effort when we when we set aside landscape 
like desert or like Paranagat for a purpose, right? So for desert, it was big horn sheep. For Paranagat, it was uh, migratory birds and waterfowl. It's not just those species that benefit. It is the whole ecosystem. We, you know, with desert refuge being set aside since 1936, we have tracts of land that were not developed, that did not have as as vague as has been rushing towards the southern boundary of that refuge. You go back in there and there's so few mining roads. There's so few signs of modern use of the landscape. If you know what you're looking for, you'll see lots of evidence of human use. But this idea that when we conserve it for one, we are protecting all of the insects, the plants, many other species benefit. And so one of the things that I love about Paranagat is I love, it's a low elevation lake. I sit there and I can look at cottonwood trees and beyond them is a Joshua tree. And the, the water in the desert, um, both places, um, desert and Corn Creek at one side and Paranagat at the other, they, they do have a, they share a boundary up near Highway 93, near Alamo, but on either side, they're anchored by water sources and how important that is, not just for wildlife, but for humans. And there's a lot of nexus there. Conserving that for species and for us um, is, is important. And at Paranagat, the duck stamp, the funds from the duck stamp helped to do that for Paranagat. Absolutely. The drawings themselves, the paintings mm-hmm. themselves, mm-hmm. can I ask abstract versus realist? Are you uh, allowed to have an abstract? And, I, and I'm trying to go back into the room. Well, let's talk about either. Okay. I, I don't know that I've ever seen an abstract federal duck stamp. There is. Is there? There's yeah. Abstract, yeah. Yeah. Um, million dollar duck. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great. The, the, the junior duck stamp, I'm glad you brought it up because the... There are certain qualities that wind up becoming the stamp. And um, I would say that for the junior art, the most important qualities of the typical winning artwork are that you can tell what the duck is. (laughs) It is biologically accurate for the level of the artwork and that it's fairly realistic. That said, a couple years ago, they opened up the contest, and now um, some, some of the states are actually running different, they call it alternative artwork, uh, for the stamp. It's by no means alternative in the art world. Right. But moving away from the need for all the um, submissions to be realistic and hyper-realistic is often what wins. Recognizing that there are different genres of art and um, having those categories for that, like graphic art or anime, more indigenous art, abstract art. And it's up to each state how they're administering that. But so there are opportunities. And while at the national level, they don't, that artwork is not necessarily going um, into the national competition. It is placing in the state level. I won't, I won't even I won't even bring up AI. No, don't let me bring up AI. Don't bring it up. <laughs> well, uh, plagiarism is always uh, um, an interesting conversation in the junior duck stamp program. It comes up all the time. And and while we are not going to talk in depth about AI, there have been um, computer and computer supported um, artwork questions 
throughout the past couple of decades as technology has increased what is permissible and not permissible when we're considering what is an original piece of artwork and AI just brings it to a new level um, and and trying to keep our you know our small uh, office that runs the program on top of all of that is quite a challenge but that it's it's a question that's been around for a long time so who makes those decisions of which art is acceptable and, and which is not acceptable for the junior program the major guidelines are coming down from the national office that said at the state level most of the artwork never makes it to the national office where i'm only when at, when we're done with judging, come late late March, we'll judge the artwork for the state. Only one submission is going to them. And I'll have to have done due diligence to check the artist's references to see if um, there's any concerns with plagiarism or copying. It's going to be interesting the next few years to see if our eyes can tell something is generated or not. I'll bet. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's, it's going to be an interesting challenge. But, for instance, the state-level coordinator, so I'm for Nevada, I'd be the first set of eyes to look at the artwork. And currently I'm looking for some basic exclusions. Is it the right size? Is it the right species? You know, is it not not a duck from Europe? Is it, uh, but I'm also considering plagiarism. And now we're looking more and more, is it uh, perhaps not a wholly original piece of artwork? And right now, the interpretation of original piece of artwork is mostly coming from something created by hand, um, not through computer programming um, and through manipulating a software program to generate something. Will that change in the next generation? I don't know. It may. We don't know where all of this is heading. And there may be, just like there's categories now for other types of art, maybe there'll be a category for something like that to put those creative efforts into this, you know, moving them towards the same purpose which is to raise awareness of the species, to you know, increase waterfowl conservation. Maybe it'll move in that direction, but we're really just beginning that conversation, aren't we? And it's coming fast. So maybe we need to check in a couple of years and see what's developed. <laughs> so I have a question for both of you. It's so obvious, your love for the land. When did this happen, as, as children or, or later? Probably when I was in the womb. Okay. <laughs> I don't remember a time that I didn't do anything outside. I, I can remember as far back as I can remember. Mm-hmm. This was kind of, somebody asked me, you know, about how I got into ducks and and the career in which I have. I can't remember a time that I was not infatuated with birds or ducks. And that's saying a lot because I, I grew up in like the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains in North Alabama. And there ain't a whole lot of ducks up there. So, you know, when I was showing interest and all that and my daddy got together we went up to Tennessee River and I guess we learned how to duck hunt together because he wasn't a duck hunter that much you know he was deer and turkey and we typically have but I've always been that way and then when I found out there was such things as a wildlife biologist it was I was done <laughs> career choices and you know I very <laughs> fine line so I knew exactly what I was going to do oh, so that's... I'd already had everything planned where I was going to go to school at and you know everything so see i've heard artists from birth this is artists from the womb yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i I can't remember a time like that i mean my brother was completely different he had no interest in doing anything you know growing up on a farm Mm -hmm. he'd rather 
stay inside and do stuff, and I was always outside. So, What about you, Jennifer? My joke has always been I didn't know outdoors was someplace people went until I was about 26. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, I, I grew up uh, spending winters in New England and summers in Phoenix, Arizona, in the suburbs, both places. My parents have uh, many fine qualities, but we did not do a lot of things outdoors for a myriad of reasons. I took an internship so I could work on my Master of Fine Arts portfolio uh, in photography. And I took an internship through the Student Conservation Association to go out to Canyonlands National Park. And I thought, fantastic, here's my ticket. They're gonna pay for me to get there and give me a place to live. And while I do whatever it is they're asking me to do on the side, I'm going to work on my portfolio. I'm going to take photographs. Well, we are now a long time from that. I'm not going to tell you quite how long. (laughs) We're we're quite a long time from that. And my life took a very big turn. I had had a little exposure before that, before that initial internship. But I hadn't really had any self-directed activities outdoors where I really engaged with it in a meaningful way. And I'm using outdoors very generically um, here, but sort of, you know, growing up in New England, uh, you know, one of the things that I marvel at here, living in Nevada, having spent time in Utah, Arizona, is this idea of public land. In New England, while there is public land, it's very far apart. Most of us don't have access to it. There's fights. To, you know, I lived in a state with an enormous coastline, very little access to the coastline in many sections of the state. The idea that the land is for everybody coming out west, that heritage, really struck me. I was strong in the arts, strong in American history, really loved that piece, and I was indoctrinated through the National Park Service. And they have a very strong culture and really proud of that idea about this idea of of setting aside public land and having it in the commons for everybody to use. And I really bought into it. And ever since, I find a sense of, now we do stuff all, you know, I really engage. We go hiking, we go exploring the backcountry roads, like the ones in desert. And now you can't keep me off of it. But it it was a different kind of self-reliance I had to learn, and I didn't come to it until later. So some of us start very early, and some of us walk into it when we think this, you know, we think our story's already written and then we walk into it and everything changes. That's a great story. Both of them, really. Go by duck stamps for <laughs> conservation. I mean, I guess this kind of caveat on that, so I'll keep harping on duck stamp because I'm very passionate about the duck stamp growing up in it and what it does, what it's done for waterfowl populations and all bird populations is a lot of the states saw this and so a lot of the states that have incorporated some kind of a habitat stamp or a state duck stamp that require, you know, that money goes into helping, again, the states being able to do their state WMAs or whatever they're doing there. So if folks are really interested in it, it's one of the highly collectible, so you can get the prints. Um, I've got 13 myself between the federal and state stamps. And I mean, they're absolutely gorgeous. And if you ever start collecting them, I, I feel sorry for you because it gets in your skin and you will spend a lot of money with it. But I've, like I said, I've got, you know, that's one of the things that, that is great. I, I like art, I like duck art, obviously, but yeah, so I'd encourage people to explore it and get on and look up state duck stamps, federal duck stamps. And if 
people are conservationists and they don't feel like they can really do anything, uh, buying a, a state stamp or a federal duck stamp is doing their part. You're looking at how many acres has been done. Anybody can do conservation. You don't have to be a biologist or a refuge manager or visitor services specialist or visitor services manager. You don't have to be hands-on. Those folks can do that, but it's going and buying a duck stamp. Rob, are there originals ever for sale? I don't know. Um, I know. So like, like a Ty Cobb baseball card or something? Well, yeah, the original artwork. I think yeah. the art, the original artwork that I put I think goes into the national collection. Probably. Because it becomes. I, so there was. We, we can find out for oh, you. The original, but the original. The original, original, because it. it becomes the stamp, right? right? So it becomes. I don't know what. Who owns the artwork? I once, don't know either. Once it's a great it, question. it wins. When she said original, I thought 1934. I'm like, I've seen one. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's so, a ding darling. But, but we. Yeah. That's, it's just that's just a piece I had never thought about what happens to the original. Yeah, I don't I don't know. It's, I'm assuming it goes it does go into some kind of archive that possibly. Do, do you get back your the one you send comes back? Yeah, we're just waiting for uh, the right Nevada artist to represent us and take us all the way through. We have not had a national winner in the, in recent memory for Nevada, but I know somebody out there is ready to do that for us. So one of my parting thoughts about the federal duck stamp. Um, in particular, and we are here to talk about Junior Duck Stamp, which is really important for youth art. But to me, it's a it's a story that is all connected. Being raised up, focusing on art, you know, being a photographer, having done painting, all of that. When I think about when I used to produce that artwork, you know, all of us want to leave something behind, right? When we're producing artwork, sometimes we're doing it just for ourselves, but there's probably a secret part of us that thinks that this is going to go out into the world somewhere and change something for somebody, you know, whether they fall in love with our piece or going to be a, a painting that hangs in a, a building or, or whatever it might be. We're going to write a story that changes somebody's life. The duck stamp art this is an amazing story when you really think about it. This is a piece of artwork every year that somebody has produced a piece of art and think about how much money that one piece of art raises every year and how much good the land it's conserving is lasting not just for this year, but for generations. You know, Paranagate was purchased with duck stamp dollars in part and that is there for generations of people because somebody produced a piece of art and then took the chance and submitted it to the contest and then we sold that to raise money. And it's just an amazing thought that this has lasted for generations of Americans and continues and we can go and actually visit the places, physically see the places that that art has impacted. When you think about the life of an artist, I mean, that's that's quite a legacy when you think about it. That is quite a legacy. And every time you see migrations every year, those geese feed up coming south, those duck populations coming south, that's what they're impacting as well. And then with the junior duck, that money goes right back into doing education. So people are buying those junior duck stamps or contributing to the next generation of getting that conservation education. So, you know, Fish and Wildlife Service is not a the profitable, you know, they're not profiting off of this. They're putting that money right back into either education or conservation, which is huge. It's amazing, 98 cents on the dollar. That's, mm -hmm. that's quite an amazing amount. Jennifer, the materials that teachers would need to do this with their classroom is on your website, correct? There is a National Junior Duck Stamp website okay. that we'll link to. Good, excellent. 
Well, we want to thank you both for coming in today in spite of the rain here, the unusual rain we're having. It's great. This was a fascinating podcast. I learned a lot. Well, thank you for having us. Me too. Thank you, guys. Enjoyed it. Broadcasting from the Mesquite Works Steam Center in the scenic Mojave Desert, the Artbox sponsors thank you for listening. You can find us on Spotify and Amazon Music. Please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We welcome all comments. You can email us at artboxvv at gmail.com. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of its hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the Virgin Valley Artists Association.